Jessica started coming to this church 20 years ago when we were at Belmont together. I never set foot in this church until about four years ago, which is amazing. Jessica started singing in the choir uh, when she was a college student at Belmont and to this day continues to bless us with her voice and her song. I guess 20 years and six kids later, now here we are uh, at Woodmont this day. It is still uh, Christmas season. I hope you know that, that today is only the third day of Christmas. Uh, I do think the staff's going to take the greenery down. I'm hitting the road in the morning, so um, Rachel didn't get to help put it up. So I think we're just going to let Rachel take it all down tomorrow. If that will be great, Rachel, you'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> who knew? Evan Coons, too, plays the bass. And his lovely mother, Holly's here today. Welcome, Holly. It's good to have you. Uh, thank you, Evan, for serving in all the ways that you do. And uh, be in prayer for him as he prepares a message from 1 John for next week. Uh, again, you will be blessed. He's an excellent preacher, a gifted preacher and teacher, and we're glad to have him. It is the third day of Christmas. It's a beautiful time to remember that God came to dwell among us, to give us words of life, and then to die an atoning death on the cross, only to rise again, conquering the power of sin and death and darkness forever. And that's the message of Advent that we talked about. We have good news, and Christmas is a time to live that good news out and to remember the gospel. And uh, today is, again, kind of in between um, the, the, the series. On January 10th, we're going to begin a 10 and a half month series in the book of Isaiah. I can't wait. Uh, my son Isaiah is really excited because he's going to hear his name a lot. I got some uh, fresh new commentaries, which I am nerdy about and love, and they smell great, and just excited about uh, diving into the Word of God with you all next year. But before that, um, I was thinking, what am I going to preach on today? Today's a freebie. It's a one-off. And I thought, what if I had just one chance, you know, what am I going to preach? Uh, and I wanted to bring a word to you from Numbers. This Bible, typically I open it to the, the, the page that the sermon text is on for that day. And you may have noticed it's been this way a lot. It's been in the New Testament a lot. Acts and John, uh, we did uh, two years in, in those so we're going to be in the Old Testament today. We're going to be in the Hebrew Scriptures in the beautiful book of Numbers. And Randy, he texted me and said, Numbers, all right. And I said, nobody says they're excited about Numbers, Randy. Why? And he says, I'm a Bible nerd. I can't wait. And I said, I'm a Bible nerd too, Randy. I love it. That's great. So uh, if you have your Bible today, open to chapter 14. We're going to begin in Numbers 14. And we've spent... Uh, Again, a lot of time in the New Testament, but let me set up kind of the Old Testament. As you know, Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. It's in that section that we call the, the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible known as the Law. And I'm going to give you a, a little history. This may be a little didactic for you. Uh, it's a, a little teaching heavy, but I want you to listen to the story of Israel in terms of two things. One, your own life, you personally your own journey, where you are, and secondly, as a church, as Woodmont Baptist Church, who we are as the people of God and our family of faith and who he's called us to be. Think about those two things as I recap the story of uh, up to numbers, okay? Genesis 1 to 3, we have the introduction, right, to the whole story of everything ever. We have creation by God's word, and then we have the fall in chapter three, and then sin increased and violence increased to the point where God said, enough, and he sent a flood in Genesis six to cleanse the earth once and for all and start over again. 
with a guy named Noah. And then we see how people thought they could attain to heaven on their own. So they built a tower to heaven, the Tower of Babel. And God said, no, that's not going to happen. And he scattered them across the world and confused their languages. And then we see this dramatic move in Genesis 12 where God says, Abram of Ur, a guy, random guy, he says, you're going to be the guy I'm going to start a new family with. I'm going to choose you, Abram, to be the, the, the patriarch of this great family. It's going to be my own people. It's going to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation unto me through whom I am going to bless the world. My holy people will be the conduit of my blessing to all the families of the earth. And then we see how Abraham's son, Abraham's, Abram's name is changed to Abraham, and Sarah, uh, Sarai's name is changed to Sarah, and his son Isaac and his sons, Jacob and Esau, display this plan of God to make this special people that would become the 12 tribes of Israel, which are the 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob wrestles with the angel, his name is changed to Israel, and he's got these 12 sons that represent these 12 tribes and the people of God. And these tribes multiply. They increase. God prospers them and they flourish until famine hits and they wind up as slaves in Egypt. And then God sends a guy named Moses, the greatest prophet until John the Baptist. And he, he sends Moses down to Egypt and his brother Aaron. And he miraculously delivers his people out from bondage. Some scholars think it was over 2 million Israelites that were living as slaves in captivity in Egypt. And plagues came upon Egypt, and including the death of the firstborn son. The Passover happens. The, the blood of the spotless lamb on the doorway causes uh, death to pass over God's people. And they, they flee, and they walk on dry land through the Red Sea in the middle of it, and the Egyptian army gets crushed by the waters when they pursue them. And they, they proceed straight to a place called Mount Sinai. Show this map, Rachel. Rachel's running slides for us today. If you want to join our audiovisual team, please see Andy or me or Rachel uh, after the service today. So they're up here in Egypt, and they, they come down here to this mount called Mount Sinai. And there, you know, smoke and fire appear on the mountain, and God meets with Moses and gives him the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And the law is supposed to set God's people apart as holy. It's, it's a good Law. It's, it's law that helps God's people flourish and to prosper. And so they had this amazing moment until they build a golden calf. Of course, uh, Moses comes down the mountain and chastises God's people um, again. But they, they head off straight for the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. The whole goal in the book of Numbers is to get to the promised land. The land is God's gift, his gracious gift to his people. It's a place where they're supposed to flourish and thrive and prosper forever. So they, you know, things are going pretty good. They, they get out of Egypt, they go to Sinai, get the law, and they head straight up to the southern edge of Canaan, and they look into the land of Canaan, and they can see it. And Moses decides, that's pretty much the first 12 chapters of Numbers, leads you up to this place called Kadesh Barnea, where they kind of camp out uh, while they look into the promised land. This was supposed to be it. This was supposed to be the point where God's people go into the land and receive this great gift of this beautiful land from which they will plant roots and represent God's image to the world. 
from Canaan, they're going to show the greatness of our God and the riches of his grace. And they're going to be that conduit of blessing to the whole world, right? That's the plan. This, this mission that, that God gave to Abraham and to his descendants to bless all the families of the earth, it was all happening pretty well. But before they go in, Moses sends out spies into the land. Remember this, this story? He sends out spies to see what the promised land is like. And the spies come back with an incredible report. The land is flowing with milk and honey. They have two guys with a pole between them and a cluster of grapes so big that it, a single cluster, it says, that they have to put it on a pole between two guys to carry it. It's a good land. It's a fertile, fruitful, productive land. It's a great, gracious place to live. But the spies notice that the, the cities like Jericho in the region have big walls around them. They're heavily fortified. And then they see the inhabitants, the Canaanites themselves. They look like giants. They think they're descended from the Nephilim. These guys must be gods, they say. They're so big and scary. There's no way we can take these guys, they think. Their official report to the people says, look, these guys are huge. The people in the cities are giants. Their defenses are modern and many. There's no way we can take them. This is, this is going to be a complete waste of lives if we go in there. The text actually records the spies in Numbers 13 as saying, we look like grasshoppers next to them. That's what it actually says in Hebrew. But the land, again, is the whole goal. God, in his power, in his might, in his sovereignty, has miraculously delivered his people out from under the thumb of Pharaoh. Why? So they could die in the desert? So they could wander aimlessly for 40 years? No. Again, he had a plan to give them a good land from which they would prosper and bring shalom, God's peace and prosperity, his flourishing to the whole world. So the spies unanimously, except for two uh, guys, Joshua and Caleb, right? The, the rest of the spies all agree, this is a waste of time. We're not doing this. They tell the Hebrew people, there's no way we can possibly take any of these cities. The land of Canaan is not an option. Uh, it's, it's not gonna happen. It's a pipe dream. Let's just turn around and go back. Look at the reaction in, Genesis, in Numbers 14, verses 1 to 11. Then all the congregation, this is after the spies give their official report. All the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the peoples of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little sons would become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt, back to slavery? Again, think about this in terms of your life and the life of our church. Keep that in your mind. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader. <laughs> they have a leader, but they don't want him. And go back to slavery back to Egypt. We want to go back to what we had. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. 
and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. They'll nourish us. We're gonna devour them. Their protection is removed from them. Remember the walls of Jericho fell. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Who can be against us? Then all the congregations said to stone them with stones. <laughs> they probably got a committee together and uh, had a town hall meeting and decided, yeah, we're gonna kill them. <laughs> we gotta kill those guys. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? You know, we're just saying these songs about God is our inheritance. God is our joy and crown. Do, do we really believe that or do we despise him deep down? How long will they despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? Are they not convinced that the 10 plagues didn't show them that I can deliver them like that? It's not hard for me, I'm God. Why do they still refuse to believe in me? And why do they despise me? You know, the people had lost heart. The people had, had given up on the Lord and his mission. They'd forgotten all the amazing things the Lord had done for them in order to bring them to the land. They'd lost faith that he could actually do what he said he could do, that he could actually give them the land. They were fearful, cowardly. They were hopeless. They were faithless. So the Lord sentenced them to wander for 40 years in the desert, eating stale manna from heaven, finally a little quail, drinking water out of a rock. The entire faithless generation would pass away before the Israelites would finally enter the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan. But that's not the end of the book of Numbers. You have this wandering, but eventually they, they make their way back towards Canaan again. And the Israelites get attacked by one of the Canaanite kingdoms, the kingdom of Arad. And some of the Hebrews are taken as captives. And the Israelites are like, what do we do? They haven't fought anybody yet. And they pray and they ask the Lord to, to give the erudites into their hands. And they go and they fight the erudites and they win. Chapter 21 is the first victory that the Israelites have had over a Canaanite people. They can't believe it. They're like, oh, we beat these big giant guys. We can't believe it. I can't believe God actually do what he says he could do. And then uh, they get a little closer to the, the kingdom of uh, Canaan and, and the Canaanites, and they defeat the Amorites. They have these two major victories over King Sihon and King Og, and they're, those are held up as model, miraculous victories. And then they, they go to the plains of Moab, just on the east side of the Jordan River, that's the eastern border of the land of Canaan, and they defeat the Moabites, the, the Midian Moabites who live 
in this land called Gilead, uh, just on the east side. It's known as the Transjordan sometimes, across the Jordan, uh, on the east side of Canaan. Again, they find themselves peering into the promised land. They're right on the cusp of what God is giving them as their inheritance, as their victory. You know, they have a few wins under their belt. They, they claim all the spoils of war from the Midianites and from the Amorites that they've defeated in battle. And a few of them, think about this, things are going pretty good. They find themselves in a nice place. They have peace because they've defeated the other kings that live there. And they have a lot of sheep now and livestock. And a few of them, a, a vocal minority, says, let's stay here. This is pretty good here. Let's, let's just settle down here. Think about that. Are you content in your own life? Things are going pretty good. You say, I think I'll just stay here. When God says, that's not the land I gave you. That's not the land I set aside for you. They're in this plains of Moab and, and they're in this Gilead land. And they remember the reports from the spies about Canaan. We don't need that. We don't really need Canaan. Let's just stay here in Moab. The Canaanites are huge warriors with big cities. Let's just keep what we have, right? Let's pick it up in Numbers chapter 32, verses 1 to 5. Now the people of Reuben, that's one of the 12 tribes, and the people of Gad, that's another one of the tribes, had a very great number of livestock. They've been successful in battle, and they saw the land of... Jazer in the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So the people of God and the people of Gad, sorry, not people of God, people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the chiefs of the congregation, Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elela, Sebum, Nebo, and beyond. The land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. <laughs> they don't say it's a great land, but you could have livestock there. And your servants have livestock. See where we're going? They said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. Don't take us there. Don't lead us there. You know, I am not... Um, I, this is the first pastor I've ever had, right? I'm learning a lot about leadership and I'm reading books on leadership and all those kinds of things. And I, I don't, I'm not an expert. I couldn't tell you all the things about leadership, but this I do know, you, it's very difficult to lead people where they don't want to go, right? They say, don't take us there. They know where Moses is headed. They know what the Lord has told them clearly about where they are supposed to go and they say, yeah, we don't want to go there. We're good right here. We're good here. It's going to be really hard if we go there. We don't want that. We're just, things are pretty good here. Let's just, this is a place where we could live. Let's just live here, is what they say. Not that that ever applies to any churches, right? <laughs> Keep reading. Uh, verses 6 and 7. But Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, <clears throat> Shall your brothers go to the war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has already given them? It is theirs. Your fathers did this 
when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. Why will you discourage the heart of the people? Moses reminds the tribes of Reuben and Gad that we're all in this together. I've seen that a lot, that phrase during the pandemic, and it's like, no, we're not. We're isolated more than ever right now is how I feel, but I get it. We're all working together to keep each other safe. Yes, that's true. But think about it in terms of the people of God. The mission that God has given to his people is for all of his people, and they're in that mission together. The same thing is true about their inheritance. The gracious gift that God has given to his people is supposed to be for all of his people, not just for some of them. But if they forfeit the mission, they forfeit the gift, it discourages the hearts of the others. Discourage, right? It means to to take courage away from, to sap their confidence, to sap their enthusiasm for what is ahead, to to sap the joy in, in the journey of going to somewhere good. Discourage. It robs people of their courage for the mission. This has happened before. Again, verse eight, go back to verse eight. This has happened before. Your fathers did this. Come on, guys, your dads did this. When I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land 40 years ago, for when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled on that day, and he swore, saying, Surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from 20 years ago, 20 years old and upward, shall see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. That whole generation is going to die out, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun. For they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And behold, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will abandon them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all this people." Man, he's like, you guys did this before. You're not learning your lesson. We should learn the lessons of the past, right? We should know our history. Look at how it worked out the last time a small group of dissenters ended up discouraging the people of God. Moses is like, come on, guys. Remember that? We just spent 40 years in the desert because your fathers did the same thing. They got to the edge of the promised land. They said, no, we're out. And that small group of dissenters discouraged everyone else, and they didn't go, and they paid the price for it. Moses is like, please don't blow this again, guys. Please don't blow it. But the two tribes aren't ready for it. They're still not having it, so they propose a compromise. Look at verses 16 and 17. They came near to Moses and said, how about this? We'll build sheepfolds here for our livestock, and cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. Isn't it interesting that they already don't see themselves as part of the people of Israel? They're talking about them and their place, but we're gonna go here. 
they've already removed themselves from the true people of God. How tragic. We'll go with the people of Israel until we brought them to their place, and our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. They, they want out. They want out. They say, we're going to go over and help, but, but we're going to put our little ones here in safety where we can build houses for them to keep them safe. Verse 19, for we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. Wouldn't it be convenient if you could determine your own inheritance? <laughs> That's not how it works, right? The whole point of an inheritance is that someone has gone before you and they determine what your inheritance is. You don't get to pick your own inheritance, but they say, no, 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 this is our inheritance. When God says, no, this is your inheritance, they say, no, we're taking this. This has come to us. This is our inheritance now. You don't get to pick your inheritance. I think Moses knows that, that there's no convincing them that, that the promised land is actually God's inheritance and it's a better place, infinitely flows with milk and honey. He knows their hearts are hard and that he's not gonna change their minds. And sometimes in leadership, you have to sadly and, and tragically and with a broken heart, allow people to choose their own way, even though you know it's not going to be good for them. It's settling for less. So look at what Moses says in verse 20 to 22. Moses says to them, if you'll do this, if you'll take up arms to go before the Lord for the war, and every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he's driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then after that you shall return and be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel. How sad is that? free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel. We have infinite obligation to the Lord. He, he created us in our mother's wombs, and then he paid the price to redeem us back. You know, he's just done all this for them, and Moses says, you can wash your hands of it. You can be free from the people of God and Israel. And, and this land that is a place for livestock not a very nice place, can be your possession before the Lord. If you really want this much lesser than inheritance, you can have it, is what he basically says to them. It's really a, a tragic loss. And they've walked away from God and from his people, and they can now have this little bit of inferior land. Hope you like it. <laughs> Moses brokenheartedly agrees to the plan. Verse 24. Go the next one, Rachel. Build cities for your little ones. Go ahead. Folds for your sheep. Do what you promised. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben said to Moses, your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our livestock, and all our cattle shall remain there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will pass over every man who's armed for war before the Lord to battle as my Lord orders. You know, Moses makes it official at that point, And he explains to the leaders what's going on. Look at verse 28. So Moses gave the command concerning them to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the twelve people of the people of Israel. 
And Moses said to them, if the people of Gad and the people of Reuben, this is fascinating, watch this. If the people of Gad and people of Reuben, of Reuben, every man who's armed to battle before the Lord will pass with you over the Jordan and the land shall be subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead on the east side of the Jordan for a possession. However, if they will not pass over with you armed, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. What? I had to read that like five times. And then I got my commentaries out. I was like, is he saying that if they go over and fight, then they can go back to the inferior land and have it. But if they don't go over and fight, they get the good land with the rest of the Canaanites in Canaan, in the land of milk and honey. What is that about? It's a gospel moment there in the book of Numbers. It's saying that, that, that if you want God's best, just follow him. Just follow him. He will fight for you. Remember Exodus 14? But if you really want this inferior piece of land, you're going to pay dearly for it. It's going to cost you greatly. You're going to go over and fight, and you're going to have people killed so you can go back to this sheepfold land that's not very good. It reminds me so much of that lyric from Rich Mullins, great singer-songwriter. He tells God, I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than to take what you give that I need. How often do we settle for sin? You know, C.S. Lewis says we're like kids playing with mud pies in the slums. We're too easily pleased because we have no concept of what a vacation at the beach actually looks like. We're far too easily pleased and we settle. We don't sin because our desire for pleasure is too great. We sin because our desire for pleasure is too weak. We have no concept of the greatness that God is giving us in his perfect inheritance. And here's the fascinating thing too. Look at these two maps. Rachel, go to the first one. I don't know if you can see this or not, but the, the blue thing here and the white thing here, those are the lands on the east side of the Jordan that were given to Gad and Reuben. Not very good places. Here's the land flowing with milk and honey over here. If they had just walked over with them and not fought, they would have a beautiful inheritance here. And what happened just 200 years later? Look at the next map. The kingdom of Moab and the kingdom of Ammon took it over anyway. They lost the land. You get the, the 12 tribes here now, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah in the land of Canaan, where they were supposed to be in the first place. If they had just gone over, they would still be there. But instead, they lost their inheritance just a couple hundred years later. The Hebrew people, again, were never supposed to be on that side of the Jordan. So the Reubenites and the Gadites have agreed to a deal that was far more costly for far less of an inheritance. It's a terrible deal. Look at verse 31. Let's finish it out. The people of God, Gad and the people of Reuben answered, what the Lord has said to your servants we will do, we'll pass over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan, the good land, and then the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us beyond the Jordan. So many of us want to live beyond the Jordan when God is calling us to his good inheritance. Okay, how to live into God's best. Let me just give you four key takeaways. How do we live into God's best, his promised inheritance, both as individuals and as a family of faith called Woodmont Baptist Church? Just because, you know, the first thing is don't settle. Don't settle. Don't be content. This is a place we could stay. That's not 
God's best. Don't settle for less than God's best. Don't be like that kid in the slums content to make mud pies when God offers you a holiday at the beach, right? Don't settle for less. Just because things may look good for the moment where you are doesn't mean that God's promises aren't still better. It may be harder to follow him where he leads. It may be scary. You may have to go somewhere that you don't know. It may be uh, an unknown thing, but wherever he's leading you is far greater than where you currently are. Following God by faith is gonna lead you to somewhere better, I promise. Second, don't discourage don't discourage others. Christianity is a team sport. I like saying that. I played team sports when I was younger, not so much these days, but it's a team sport. Encourage one another. We rely on our brothers and sisters to do this mission together and to use our common gifts. And the church exists to do what? To love God with all that we are, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to make disciples of all nations. We need each other's support to do that. Let's, let's accomplish the mission with joy, with bravery, with boldness, with enthusiasm and, and focus. Sometimes we need to let go of the things that aren't that, the things that aren't the mission. And Satan would love to destroy our unity over things that aren't the mission of God in the first place. Maybe it wasn't a big deal that the spies told the Hebrew nation about the giant Canaanites and spooked everybody, but it cost them their very lives. They discouraged the hearts of the people and an entire generation missed out on the generous promised gift of God because a handful of people discouraged the rest of them. Third, don't forget, Moses told the people, don't you remember what happened last time we got to the edge of the promised land? We spent 40 years because People refuse to just go in and take it. They refuse to follow the Lord's lead. You know, when I came to Woodmont, people told me that back in the early 90s that 400 people left the church. And someone told me 500 people left the church, you know, in the early 90s. And I said, that's probably not true. It's probably a lot less than that. It's probably an exaggeration. Many of you were here and still remember that. Uh, when our definitive history was written by Susan Richardson, uh, she checked the rolls, and between 1991 and 1993, 806 names came off the rolls from Woodmont Baptist Church. That's, that's bigger than our churches now. That's bigger than most churches in the, in the world. What, what happened? I don't know. I don't want to get into what happened, but let's remember the past and learn lessons from it. I don't know what happened, but I know it wasn't good for the kingdom. I know that our enemy probably loved that. Some people went to other churches, and, and I wouldn't be here today because a lot of them went to Forest Hills and built a youth building, I became a youth pastor there. It's amazing to see how God worked all this out, right? But ultimately, in the end, I'm sure our, our, our enemy was pleased that that happened. Let's remember the lessons of our past and strive to move forward in unity and with grace and patience for each other. Fourth and finally, don't compromise. We all make deals with God, don't we? <laughs> We try to compromise like the, the, the Reubenites and the Gadites did. Well, how about this? How about we stay here and then we go over and fight with you and then we make these deals with God, right? And it always ends up badly. Don't compromise. It never works out. If you're holding something back from God now, it's time to let it go and surrender all that you are to him. I promise it will go better for you. 
Proverbs 19.6, right? It says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the Lord's purpose that will stand. Don't try to make your own plans because they're not going to stand. I want us to take these lessons to heart today, again, in our personal lives and as a Woodmont Baptist Church family of faith. It's been a hard year for us. Where is God calling us next year? I'm, I'm not sure 100%, but I know it's, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. We're going to have to make some changes to go forward in order to be the church that God wants us to be. We may look like grasshoppers compared to the giant task that he has ahead of us. But I promise you this, if we will courageously follow God's lead into the future, we will be blessed beyond measure. We'll find an inheritance infinitely greater than anything else we could have hoped for, one that will never spoil, perish, or fade. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word that gives us these lessons on how to live into your best for us. God, forgive us for settling. Forgive us for, for making compromises with you and with others. God, we are far too easily pleased. Help us to understand the vacation at the beach that you're offering us. Help us to understand that your ways are infinitely better than our ways. That true flourishing, true thriving, doesn't come through chasing the things that the world chases after, it comes from chasing after you. God, I pray that we would follow you, both as individuals and as a church, with all that we are, that we would run hard after you, that we would boldly and courageously go where you are calling us to go, confident that where you're leading us is infinitely better than if we stay here. We pray this in God's powerful name, the precious name of Jesus Christ, our only Savior. Amen. Today we're going to have a time of response. If there's something in your heart that you need to, to confess to the Lord today, if you're compromising with him still, if you're holding something back from him, use this time now to just give it to the Lord, to surrender all that you are to him and say, I'm ready to boldly go where you are calling. Maybe you've been resistant to the Lord. Maybe you need to be baptized and you haven't been baptized and you say, I'm ready to step out in faith and do that. Maybe you need to accept the gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith for the first time and you're ready to make that decision now. Maybe you're ready to join Woodmont Baptist Church. Whatever it is that you need to do today, don't leave this place until you've dealt with God. Let's stand and sing our hymn of response.